Hey, it's Alexis Haynes, and this is my podcast, Recovering From Reality. Hi, guys. Today, I have the pleasure of having Lauren Everts Bostick on the podcast. That is, I was just saying, quite the name. Um, And I love it. I love the hyphening these days. It's great. Um, She is the creator of The Skinny Confidential, which is a blog, book, podcast, and YouTube channel. Lauren helps women live their best lives by sharing everything from wellness and beauty to business and real life tips. The Skinny Confidential, as she says, is all about having kale in one hand and champagne in the other. Thank you so much for coming on. (laughs) When you read it in your soothing voice. Your voice is so soothing. Does everyone tell you that? They do. And it's one of those things where you hear your own voice and you're like, I hate my voice. And then someone's like, you need to do ASMR videos. because You, so you actually do. <laughs> I have to take out my earrings because these headphones are making them jam into the back of my head. Um, but I, um, I recently... Well, Lauren recently reached out to me and I'm, I'm new to the podcast world, obviously. And I loved everything that she's about, but especially how authentic you are. Thank you. I feel like you're just so authentic with your community. And one of the things that I talk about often with mine is, um, you know, the balance that I have in my life between like I have crystals all around and incense burning all the time and I eat a really clean diet, but I love... I mean, I would even say semi-addicted to like Botox and fillers. Like I, lo- <laughs> hey, I love it. <laughs> I love Botox. I just made my husband get shot up with Botox. I'm a fan of the Botox. <laughs> the Botox is incredible what it does for you. And I always tell my community, like, don't compare yourself to me because I have had so much work done and I feel like it's not a fair comparison. I love that you say that. <laughs> it's so good. I mean, after having two kids, I needed a full tummy tuck, breast lift, like the whole mommy makeover. Did a tummy tuck hurt? Because I feel like I want a mommy makeover when I have kids. It was brutal, but it was worth every penny and every ounce of pain. And I'm not going to lie, like it was worse than the C-section. It was definitely, yeah, it was, it was a recovery, but I'm so grateful that I did it. And I would you know, I would do it a hundred times over. I actually just did. I was not happy with my scar. And so I went back and had them cut it out and redo it (laughs) just because I wanted a better scar. Oh my God. I like the commitment. I'm into that. I feel like I want like the plastic surgeon in the room when I'm having a baby to, you just like do it there. Can you do like a two for one? You know what I mean? You can't. You're like, you have a gaping hole the size of a placenta, like is, is the size of a plate, right? Your placenta detaches from your uterine wall. So it's like this big. And then, um, you know, your uterus is the size of probably at that point, like a watermelon. So it would be like a waste of time. Oh, my gosh. You were talking earlier (laughs) about, um, you know, us eventually having babies. And I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around it. I'm, I'm I'm not there yet. I think my husband's pushing me a little bit. Mm. So we'll have to see. I really feel that. So my husband's 15 years older than me. So I knew when we got married that I was committing to having kids early. I mean, I don't know how old you are, but I was 23 when I had Harper, I think. Yeah, 23. <laughs> so I was Your body super... bounces back, right? Um, It didn't. I mean, to be honest, I... So with Harper, I gained a lot of weight and I didn't realize I had hypoglycemia. So I like ballooned up and it the recovery was definitely 
hard and my body is not the same. And I think that, how would I put this? Like, I think that there needs to be more acceptance around and, and open dialogue about the way that our bodies change and that it's okay. Um, and at the same time that it's too okay to go and modify it after if you want to. So I definitely have more cellulite than I had pre-baby. I think that's age too, right? It's like, I mean, I have cellulite. <laughs> like, I hope it's age. It's something. Yeah, it's something. I mean, I'm who like- doesn't have cellulite? <laughs> I have, like everyone has cellulite, I feel like. I agree with you. I really like how open you are with your community about what your body goes through. I think a lot of people... Um, we'll try to get strategic angles or good lighting and not really show the nitty gritty. Um, I hope that, you know, one day when I am pregnant that I can really show that that real side like you do, because I think you do a really good job of that. And all of the struggles that we go through as pregnant women, just, you know, the nausea and hormone changes and sex drive changes and all of that stuff that comes with it, too. I think that your audience will definitely appreciate that and benefit from it. Um I just want to know, like, do you get, do you ever get pushback from people because you do talk a lot about health and wellness and, and things like that. And then you talked openly and I loved your blog post about getting your second boob job. It was so epic. You're like, yeah, guys, I just got my second boob job. I'm like, this is great. I, ever since I was little, have been an overshare. Mm-hmm. It's just part of my personality. And I think that I, I've known from a really young age that I'm not for everyone. And I've also known that the Skinny Confidential is not for everyone. And so in knowing that, I know I'm not trying to get everyone to like me or be a part of the platform. I'm I'm going for um, you know, I know exactly who I'm talking to, exactly who my demographic is. And I think that my whole message is I'm gonna do me, you do you. I'm not telling you to do anything, I'm just sharing my journey. Yeah. And within that, I like to bring experts on. Um, who have authority in certain spaces and have them give information. But I tell my audience all the time, like you have to be your own guru. Yeah, You have to go out and you have to do your own research and talk to people and, you know, go to your doctor, whatever it is. Um, but for me, I'm just like, this is my journey. This is what I'm doing. And I'm, I'm going to stay on, on my track and stay in my lane. And if you want to come on for the ride, come on. But if you don't, like there's a million other people out there to follow. Yes. And I love that you're talking a lot about doing it for you and doing you. I think that a lot of people assume that I got a tummy tuck for my husband. No, I didn't. I got a tummy tuck because I'm 28. I've had two children and I want to spend the next 20 years of my life looking hot as fuck. And you know what? Here's the thing. Even if you did get it for your husband or even if you did, that's that's your prerogative and your Mm -hmm. journey and I think that we're coming into a time right now where people are over the curated Instagram aesthetic yeah it's it's getting old and people want to see the in-between scenes they want to see um the struggle and they want to relate to you it's not like I'm I'm noticing that these trends of of influencers with perfectly curated feed and listen my feed is pretty curated right now I'm starting to move away from that and um you know talk a lot on Instagram story or write blog posts about things that, that that I'm going through. I opened up about my sister's drug addiction. She came on the podcast. I opened up about my mom's suicide. I opened up about all these different things that, that, you know, have happened to me, not trying to give advice, just sharing my journey and my own struggles. I think that 
it's my due diligence as an influencer to make sure that people are also seeing the nitty gritty. Like it's not all perfect in diamonds. We absolutely go through real life struggles and I'm a living example of that. And I think that that authenticity relates to people and then your following grows even more because it gets shared and, and other people relate to it. And I mean, that's kind of how the whole program of AA like started. People shared their experience, other people related to it. And then we came into this place. I want to talk to you about your sister for a minute because, um, you know, I have two sisters. I was a sister to my sister Tess, who is an addict. And then I also have a little sister who is not an addict and who went through this journey and this experience with us together. And I think it's always interesting to get the perspective of family members and and to hear their side of the story and and what they were going through in that time period. I mean, I'm sure I have a lot. I would have a lot to talk about with your younger sister that it's really hard to watch someone you love and care about kill themselves in front of you and there's nothing you can do and I'm such a control freak like I want to control everything and to not have any control over that was hard if someone is out there and they're listening and they have a brother or sister or a parent that's struggling with addiction I would tell from my experience again this is my experience the best thing I did was when I stopped trying to control the situation I stepped away and I said there's nothing I can do here there's I've done everything I can do um and she needs to to see it herself and three weeks later after six years of drug abuse she got sober now I'm not saying that's why she got sober I'm just saying I noticed that when I relinquished control over the situation it got better um but I have a lot of empathy for family members and I have a lot of empathy too for parents You know, I I watched my dad um, really enable my sister and that's got to be hard. You know, my dad probably had a lot of guilt because my mom committed suicide when my sister was 13 years old Mm. and I was 18. So I think he harbored a lot of guilt. And within that guilt, he he did everything he could to enable my sister Faye um, because he felt bad. Yes. So he's trying to make up for all of that pain and, and, you know, whatever he could to make her not feel, you know, you, you, you get into this codependent cycle where you feel like I have to fix this. I have to fix this. I have to fix this. And if I keep fixing this and making them as comfortable as possible, eventually they'll love me and love themselves enough to kind of get better. And that's, just not the way that it ever works out unfortunately exactly and and what I also have noticed and you could you would know this better than me I've noticed that it's not always just the addict that's sick it's the family yes it's the family and so that is like a whole different dynamic too I think that that there's always an opportunity to do better and learn more and I was just telling Michael on the car ride over here you know I think I'm someone that could probably benefit from going to Mm Al-Anon and I I just think, and and you could tell me maybe more about that because I don't know a lot about that, but I just think that any kind of trauma that you've had and had to experience as a family member, like doing something like that to better yourself and to work on that area of your life is beneficial. Um, So my sister's sober though for six years. 
I think it's six. It might be six and a half. And she has a beautiful son now. And the program, you know, has saved her life. So it's been, I mean, she's obviously had to work it. Yes. Um, It's a lot of work. It is. I mean, getting sober, I have mad props for anyone that's still, I mean, it's a lot of work. Um, But I'm so proud of her. Um, But I will say those six years, you know, it, it, it fucks you up. It fucks you up watching that. Yeah, and I think that, um, like you were saying, as a family, we have to recover, you know, and and not all families do, and my family was really just so toxic and had so many um, codependency issues, and my mom was a control freak, and even into my early recovery was pretty much sabotaging my recovery because of how controlling she was. And it wasn't until I was about, I want to say two years sober that my husband actually finally said enough. He is, my husband's like a gentle giant. Like he's very, he has a very high tolerance for people and he's very passive until he's had enough. And then when he's had enough, he's like, straight to the point, hits you where it hurts, and that was it. And he talked to my mom and basically brought her to her knees. Um, and and that started our journey. And it's not recovery. I say this, I feel like I say this in every single episode, but recovery of any sorts isn't a linear experience and there's highs and lows. And I think especially when there's been trauma and it's hard as a family member to go, is she going to slip? Is she going to get loaded? Especially in those first couple of years. And when you're talking about letting go and relinquishing control, I really feel that is my method. Um, And it started with Tess. I was two almost two years sober and she was still out there on the streets shooting speedballs 80 pounds doing lord only knows what with herself and her body and it was a very challenging experience because I had sent her to treatment I don't know four or five times at that point and I just felt hopeless and um I contacted Bob forest and I said we need to do an intervention she's dying she's 80 pounds she's on the streets she's whatever she is and Bob was like I won't do an intervention I don't believe in it he said the only thing that you're going to do is you're going to take her to breakfast and you're going to apologize for trying to force her into recovery before she's ready Um, because the reason we're using is because we're under immense amounts of pain Right. And so we're, you're trying to take away our medicine, you know, and, and to deal with that pain before we're ready. And I really believe as as people, we're here to evolve and we're here to grow. Um, and everybody does that at a different rate and at different times. But you have to believe that 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 moment when that person in your life finally says yes you know, that's a special moment for them. You can't force someone to have that bottom. They have to have their own bottom. And they do best when they hit that bottom, when they have family members that they know they can call that they're not going to like shame them or I told you so or why haven't you gotten it by now, any of that stuff. So when we separate from that, you know, we're able to move into um, a place of just loving them what I'm hearing you say, you said this word a couple times, is, is how you felt hopeless with 
Tess. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot of family members out there that feel that hopelessness. There needs to almost be, and I don't know if there is, and you could tell me if there is, a guide or a book of of what to do because yeah even when my sister did get sober you there's questions that I have and this may sound stupid am I allowed to have a glass of wine in front of her mm-hmm. um I don't want to like do anything that's going to upset like yes. you don't know it's it's a very kind of awkward dance that you yes. do um and obviously the addict is focused on their recovery as they should be but as a family member you you it's like this switch it's like one minute you're dealing with an addict for six years that's completely chaotic and the next minute you're having to make this switch into uh, supporting their sobriety Al-Anon is a great program it was a program developed um by the wife of one of the founders of AA right and um it was and it's based around the 12 steps uh I think Al-Anon is great um for people who have an alcoholic in their life. I think the idea of letting go and setting firm boundaries and cutting heroin addicts off, you know, imagine the mom with an 18-year-old daughter and she goes to an Al-Anon meeting and they say, you just got to cut her off and set firm boundaries and blah, blah, blah. Well, and wait until they hit bottom. Well, bottom for a heroin addict, and uh, we just had a loss this morning, of a young person to heroin is usually dying is usually dying. And so it's like, how, how do we use and, and back to my mom. So my mom, um, she ended up getting better. She ended up going to school to become a counselor and going to, um, become a life coach. And now she works with families specifically on how to drop shame and how to use, she says, these are her words, love, leverage, and connection to be your, yes, to be your addict's best chance at recovery. And so my mom's group is called Families United for Recovery. She does live streams and she's available for personal coaching. And then at Allo, my husband's treatment center, we have a free group every Wednesday night in Malibu that is open to the public and anybody is available, you know, allowed to come in. Maybe I should go to that. <laughs> it's great. Oh my God. It would be life changing for you. And And she has... Everybody just loves her and she, she is, she has this, she has a gift. She has a gift. And so I'm not saying don't go to Al-Anon. Just look into other options. Just look into other options. And then as far as like, should I have a glass of wine in front of them? Should I not? This dance in early, you know, being around people in early recovery is a hard one. And um, I think it's personal. So I remember I was newly sober And I went out um, on a, I wouldn't call it a date, but it was with an ex of mine, right? An ex fling. And he knew that like I had gone to jail and then I was out and in, you know, recovery. And I sat down and he was like, are you gonna have a glass of wine? And I was like, no, I'm sober. Like so many people just don't, don't get it. They don't understand recovery. And so I think that there's a way to have that dialogue like, you know, because it is a case by case basis to say to our loved ones, like, what's your comfort level? Mm -hmm. Where are you at? And to check in because it may be different. 
You know, the thing is, we don't get to come home from a stressful day and have that glass of wine and unwind. And we all have those days. So we might be going through something. So when I say yes at one point, I may feel uncomfortable at another. I don't now. I keep alcohol in my house, actually. My father-in-law drinks. And he when he comes to visit from Canada, we keep his you know, bourbon up and, and scotch in the cabinet and I have wine in my house. And for me personally, I am around alcohol all the time. It does not phase me. I'm around pot all the time. We just did Coachella. It doesn't bother me. But for many people in recovery, it might. What are some things that you do to wind down instead of a glass of wine? I, I would actually like to know from my own personal experience. Yeah. <laughs> what, like, what are things that have really worked for mm-hmm. you? You know, as women too, I feel like there's like this unspoken thing with women and wine. I think with that, motherhood and wine. Yes. And I'm on a mission to like cut that SHIT out. Wait, I can cuss. Shit out. Cut it out. Stop associating motherhood with wine drinking. It's like, it, it's, it's patronizing isn't the right word, but it, it's, it's not a good look. Like, why are we always associating like women and motherhood with wine drinking? It's kind of like a secret society too of all the, like, I feel like a lot of women struggle with the wine thing and they're there. They kind of, um, push it down. So I would just love to know though, what you do when you come home and you've had like a horrible, stressful day and you sit on the couch, like, is it meditation? What are you doing? So it varies um, day by day. I'm lucky that I have two kids that I absolutely love. So if it's been a day where they've been away from me and I've had like a lot of work struggles, getting on the floor, throwing my phone into the kitchen, putting it on silent and having that heart to heart hugging eye connection, Mm -hmm. that is sobering. You know, it's just like the love and how much they just, I mean, there is no better feeling than you walk in the door and your kids are like, mommy, mommy, mommy. And you've had this day and you're like, okay. Um, I like perspective. Yes. I love long showers. So for me, I'll throw some essential oils on a rag, sit in my shower. And I'm sorry, I'm wasting a lot of water. I know, but it's like this, <laughs> this I'll sit in there for like 15 minutes and I'll do self-care. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do a body scrub right now. And that really makes me focus not on what the day was like, but you know, the sensation of a body scrub, even I'm feeling my body. I'm touching my body. How often are we like not in tune with our bodies at all? And we get massages by other people, never really our loved ones or give ourselves a massage or a hug or whatever it might be. Um, And then I really work hard now to like acknowledge my feelings. Um, It's really hard. Before you guys arrived this morning, I was like hyperventilating crying because of like a personal issue. (laughs) And I was like, I have people that are going to arrive in 10 minutes. And what do I do? I got to do my hair. And I'm like, like heaving, hyperventilating. And, um, And I've learned to talk to myself in this way that, is really nourishing. I talk a lot about reparenting and because I had really shitty parents, I never had parents that talked to me and said, it's okay. And, you know, so one of the things I say is sadness, I'm addressing you right now. I hear you. I'm going to put you away for a little bit and I'm going to come back to you when I have a little bit more time. And then I'll just tell myself like, I love and accept you just the way you are right now. 
this is a really intense moment. So it's just, it's a lot of like self-care. It's a lot of like slowing down, getting into my body, like feeling really rooted, feeling grounded, acknowledging my power. This last year for me has been about feeling and acknowledging my power that like that source, energy, life, God, universe, whatever you want to call it. It's in me. It's flowing through me. It's beating my heart for me right now without me having to do anything to support it. That is unconditional love, right? Our hearts are doing all this work for us. And all of that power is in me and it's mine to claim. And so, yeah, I mean, that was kind of, that was a long tangent. I do a lot of stuff. No, it sounds like you do. (laughs) You know, someone told me, and I'm obsessed with this, is going to the beach and putting your feet into the sand. I do that a lot. Okay, people think I'm being crazy, but it's called grounding. If you you guys don't know. Or in the dirt, wherever you are. You got to check it out. Everyone should Google it. It's, It's the ions of the earth going into your skin. Because think about how often do you actually have your bare feet touch the actual earth? It's, I mean, really think about the last time because I, I mean, I can't. I can't think of the last time my feet touched the earth, but whenever I do do that, I notice a difference. Yes. Um, and another thing, I, I you talked about your shower. I have a tip. You have to go to the farmer's market or something and get huge eucalyptus leaves mm. and hang it from the shower yeah, I saw head. Your stories that looked amazing. You will be. Obs- I feel like you're the type of person like yeah. you're like me. You will love it. Okay, they if have that at Trader Joe's. Yeah. I will go and get a bunch. Just make sure you wash off the leaves before because you don't. I made the mistake of letting the dirt fall, <laughs> like the fall dirt spraying yeah, on well, you. It's grounding, right? That's more ions for yeah. me. <laughs> exactly right. Get all of those ions getting outside and feeling that that warmth of the sun and just trusting that even though it feels like you're out of control that like there's something carrying you right now you know totally I think that I I was became so depressed my husband laughs at me because we went we went to London for a vacation for like two weeks and the weather it gets dark at like three o'clock yeah. And I'm someone that I think I have seasonal depression a little bit. Me too. Where yeah. my mood sort of is happening with the weather, which I, I mean, it's not something I can control. It's just something I feel. So I noticed that I was really feeling depressed and depressed. I, I'm really anxious, but depression isn't something I experience a lot. So I'm very, I'm trying to be really in tune with myself. The second my eyes hit a salt rock lamp, hmm. I felt better. Because it, it, I guess it stimulates your retinas. Am okay. I saying that right? I think it's retinas. I think yes, um, it is. <laughs> but the second it hits your eyes, it, it makes you feel better. It's crazy. So I have them all in, like in my kids' rooms and in my rooms. I don't know how much of it. Like I'm sure it does help. I don't know why that was one thing that like really worked for me. So they had that in London, or when you came back, they had we we traveled to a different place and they had this huge salt rock lamp and they said oh, stare nice. at it for. 20 minutes you have to stare at it you can't just oh okay so maybe that's why i'm not getting the effects i need to like go to my salt rock turn it on and just <laughs> with your sit there for 20 leaves. minutes with the steam shower going so i'm like ready to jump in and your okay. feet in the sand and my feet in the sand i should just get a sound a sand bowl for my backyard and just stick my feet in hey, it that's a good idea that's like, i mean i would buy it I want to know kind of what you're going to do as your kids get older. Is it something that you're going to broach with your kids that you're sober or is it something that you're not going to give any energy to? My sister obviously just had a little boy and I would love to hear your perspective on that. 
Yeah, my kids, I mean, they've grown up at our treatment center, so they know. And uh, my now six-year-old, actually, the last time her grandpa was in town, she said, how come when he drinks that stuff, he gets really funny? And I was like, um, okay, we're going into this right now. Um, Harper has known for a while that the work mommy and daddy do, we help people. We help people to save their own lives. And she knows now that there are certain substances out there that make people do really crazy things. And so we've kept the topic light. But yes, she knows that we don't consume alcohol. And yeah, she I mean, kids are so aware of their environment. She's just really in tune. I know I can't shelter my kids forever from my past. And I'm a very open book. Like I'm a very like sex positive parent. Like we call a penis a penis a vagina a vagina like we don't you know I'm very like cut and dry about that what stuff. is like another word that that a parent oh my can god call a penis? I've heard so many <laughs> yeah, things your ding dong your 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 weenie your whatever it is like I've heard so many different words like, well, we're gonna call a penis a penis when we have a kid I'm just a penis um so it's it's you know I'm very like honest about that type of stuff and so you know I don't plan on giving my kids access to like social media media and things like that you know eventually they'll get cell phones but they won't be they'll probably be like little flip phones they're not going to get the ones with the internet access if those even exist and if they don't exist then they probably won't get phones you know uh, we talked to Khalil Mm -hmm. who, who you know yes and he was telling us that a lot of people are now using burner phones because they noticed that they were one becoming addicted to social media and two, it was, it wasn't making them feel good. Mm -hmm. So they actually have stopped those feelings by just getting a burner phone and using that, which is really interesting. Yeah. I have a love hate relationship with social media. I mean, it definitely, I notice on days when I'm on it all day. So we were talking earlier. I'm like, I'm going to start this podcast, okay? And then as I was working with Jessica, we're like, okay, well, this is going to actually kind of become a brand. And so we need to start creating content and all this stuff. And I started to get in the trap of like, well, I should be here and my feed should look like this. And I should have this many followers and blah, 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 blah. And I need to hit all of these marks. And I'm on social media all the time. And I can actually feel like in the front of my head, like this weight and depression. So it's definitely, there's something to be said about just staring at a blue light screen all day and scrolling through your feed and curating content and all of the stuff. I mean, do you have people that help you? You have a lot, you're on, you have a lot of content every day. I'm like, I'm almost looking at your stories going, how did she produce this much content every day? The the stories are a lot. No one helps me on the stories. I do the stories myself because I feel like it's so personal and intimate. Yeah. You, you like, I feel like it would, it would show if it wasn't mm-hmm. with me. I produce my own Instagram feed, but you know, I've been creating content for the last nine years. So it's something that's, that's um, sort of like every day rinse and repeat every day rinse and repeat I will tell you um about four years ago I decided that I wasn't going to put a lot of energy in consuming everyone else's Instagram and Facebook Mm -hmm. that I was going to put it in my own so I don't really click the button that's to the very left on Instagram and when I catch myself scrolling I have like a a mantra in my head that's stop and I, I will tell you another one uh, they say you're the top five people that you hang around. Mm-hmm. If you're consuming, you know, 20 different Instagram stories a day 
and those people aren't positive. Yes. You think one minute a day for 365 days a year, that's a lot of fucking time spent on someone else's life. The people that I choose to consume their content are people that are going to make me better. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you an example. Like I have looked at someone that I really look up to in the health world. And I just consume her content. I don't go to 20 different health gurus. Yes. I consume her One. content. Yeah. With your podcast, I, I look at you as an example of someone who's done an amazing job in recovery. So I consume your podcast. With business, I have like my two, like I love Ed Milet and Gary Vee. I'll consume their content. And I'm very strategic about whose stories I'm watching because it's you're you're hanging out with those people every single day it's going to rub off on you yeah i choose not to watch anyone's instagram stories besides those five people every day and it's a discipline but i'm telling you i feel so much better what you're saying like when you feel depressed it doesn't feel good to consume 50 different people half of them which aren't doing anything to to better my own life Yes. Um, so I'm just I got careful. in that trap with like fashion bloggers because I love fashion. And then I'm just consuming their content all the time. And I'm like, wait, what are they actually offering you right now? Besides like they're doing this shake and like this is what I wore today. And it's like, yeah. And so while I do post a lot of pictures of like, look, I look really hot right now. Here's a cute picture of me. I always try to put in my captions content about like where I'm at or tips or things that you can do to better yourself or what you can do to you know an early recovery or whatever it is or mom struggles that I go through um you know as a mom it's way harder like I look at my friends who do get that glass of wine at five o'clock every night and I'm like (laughs) I wish that I could do that sometimes because it is it is so challenging and then when you go on Instagram and you're comparing yourself to the other moms who have perfectly curated feeds of their kids acting you know and behaving and their pictures are like so and so was an angel today and I'm so you know and it's just like oh my god this is just so not good for me and so I actually I was following around 1500 people and I think now I'm down to like 900 yeah cut the fat I yeah. mean it's like it's like friends <laughs> yes. if, you're, if you have a shitty friend that's not bringing you any value and all they do is sit there and yes. talk about and complain I, I don't want that friend in my life. And sorry if that sounds cutthroat, but it's just, I'm being super honest. I mean, I think that you have to be really careful of whose content you're consuming. And if it doesn't have tangible, valuable takeaways, then maybe it needs to be cut. Yeah. No, oh. I totally, well. Just being honest. But it's like, but there's some non-negotiables in my life and um, contributing to depression and, and all of those things. Like that's a non-negotiable for me. Like I just won't do it. And, um, and so, yeah, so it's cutthroat, but it's honest. I feel like you have to protect yourself, you know? Yeah. You got to do what works for you. Yes. And so we were talking about all the health people that we both look up to. And there was one person in particular and I love their content. Um, but sometimes it makes me feel really overwhelmed. And then I find myself spiraling out about all of the things that I need to be doing and changing in my house and dropping 12 K on this freaking house machine. That's going to do all the stuff to like, you know, protect me and my family and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, wait a second. 
this is just giving me anxiety right so now. So maybe you you either stop consuming their content or you only consume it on Sundays. Um, yes. Set the boundaries. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like we just had this really, really smart guy. He wrote the stubble art, the stubble art of not giving a fuck. Yes. And he talks about how important it is that you're being disciplined with what content you're consuming. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, it's like, um, you know, news and politics. If you're consuming 800 different opinions, you don't know, like, what are you going to do? Evan, are you listening? My husband <laughs> just literally just scrolls Twitter for like, he loves politics. I'm like, oh, do you listen to anything else? Uh, it's like too many yes. opinions thrown at you. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I just think, like I said in the beginning, to wrap it around, you have to be your own guru. You have to really see what's mm-hmm. working for you and what's not. Everyone's different. Um, but I would just say if, if people's content isn't making you feel good and isn't giving you tangible things that you can apply to your own life, maybe skip reevaluate it. it. Skip yeah. it. Yeah, skip yeah. it. I agree. And it's crazy because I look at the people who have like over a million followers. Some of these, my girlfriend does hair um, for like all of the Instagram girls who are like 17 and are friends with like Kylie Jenner and all these people. And I'm looking at them. I'm like, how, how sad is it that there's probably out of their million, I mean, the vast majority of their followers are probably like 13 to like 19, 20 and this is the content that they're consuming of all of them. They follow all of them. It's like, you know, it's like a follow train. They follow all of these girls and I'm going, oh my gosh, this is what they're being fed. Can you imagine? I no. mean, I guess, we, I guess we were fed like in a, we were, we were served it in a different way when we were younger. Not nearly like this. No. And it, and it wasn't as bad. No. And I mean, I remember being like 12 or 13 and still watching like SpongeBob. Like, I don't know, like we, (laughs) it wasn't like, you know, I didn't have a phone that provided me. There's Bob. I didn't have a phone that like provided me with this constant, um, just consumer based, you know what I mean? And that's the thing where like every single post is a sponsored post. And I'm like, just becomes really overwhelming. So who's your celebrity crush? Charlie Hunnam. Okay. So yeah, he's a babe. (laughs) Um, Okay. So would you rather have sex with Charlie and it was the worst sex of your life? Okay. So you had been looking up to this for like forever and you have sex and you walked away going, oh my God, that was terrible. Or have sex with someone that you think is like the least attractive person on the planet. Like imagine that. And it ended up being pretty great sex. Oh, I'm going to go with Charlie. (laughs) That was my choice too. My husband's like the ugly person. I'm like, wait, every guy would choose the ugly person. (laughs) I was like, um, I'd rather have sex with my celebrity crush. Okay. Would you rather have sex with your cousin in secret? Nobody ever knows, you know, whatever, (laughs) or not have sex with your cousin, but everyone thinks that you did and you could not convince them otherwise. Oh. <laughs> I'm gonna go with the lather. Yeah, yeah. I just gotta not give a fuck what anyone thinks. If people yeah. want to think I fucked my cousin, that's like their own prerogative. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, I'm not mine, fucking my cousin. Mine, <laughs> mine would be the same. I mean, are you fucking your cousin? <laughs> no, you wouldn't be fucking your cousin. Um, okay. Would you rather freeze to death or burn to death? Freeze. Okay. No fingers or no eyes. 
No fingers. Would you rather shit your pants in public once a year for the rest of your life or crap yourself in private every day for the rest of your life? Crap myself in, in private because then every I'm like day? getting my digestive system going. <laughs> every I'm fine with that. Day. Yeah, like clean it out. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Would you rather, this was the, the favorite one of last time. Would you rather have nippled size fingers, like little nipple nubs on your hands or finger size nipples? Oh my God. <laughs> I just got my second boob job as we talked about and yes. I'm like really excited about them. So I'm going to have to go with the fingers, with but the that fingers. would be really inefficient because I couldn't do my like work. <laughs> no, no. You, well, you could. You would just be like yeah. punching stuff all the I'd time. I'd have to learn to use my toes. Yeah, that would be really hard. Okay, let me see if I can do find one more. Um, okay, would you rather have your significant other look through all of your text, chat, email history or your employer? My significant other. He's not going to find yeah, anything. He doesn't, yeah. It's boring. <laughs> He's it's boring in there. Yeah. Um, well, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I feel like our community is going to be so happy with this episode and just take away so much from it. So thank you for coming on. And thank you for having me. Yes. We're going to have you on our podcast. We're going to do a little collab with Bob Forrest, like a round table. Cannot wait. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I have so many questions for you just about recovering what you've done. And I'm a huge fan of your podcast. So this is such an honor to be on. <laughs> and so it is. <laughs>